the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. The only thing we need is for you to call. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. we got a lot of questions that have been sent in uh, yesterday and today. Uh, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it's Tuesday. That means we don't have anything scheduled that I need to talk about. So let's get right to some of the questions that have been sent in. Uh, This one is from our mobile app from Chip. He says, welcome back, Pastor On. Thank you, Chip. Um, You talk about how when someone is about to pass, and by that he means to die, that an angel comes to your bedside and then leads you immediately to heaven. Are there angels that escort you to hell? Uh, Chip, I don't think so. There's no indication at all uh, in the Bible uh, that there is an escort to hell. Um, I think that's in one of those cases where uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who are going to eternal punishment, um, I think in in that particular case, those people are going to be transported directly in to the place of torment. Uh, But um, uh, Luke chapter 16 tells us um, that uh, we have an angel that escorts us to heaven immediately in the presence of the Lord. But um, I think... um, we don't need to worry about an escort to hell. I think we're going to find our way there. Chip, the Bible just doesn't say. The Bible just doesn't give us any indication at all, at least that I'm aware of, that that would be the case. Can I also use your question, Chip? And I don't mean this personally to you at all, but um, um, just just sort of a thing that I've, I've been worrying, not worrying about, wondering about for a while. Um, why is it we Christians are so unwilling to use the word die? When someone's about to pass, or when someone's with Jesus, I understand that, but but I think if we're going to be effective in our testimony, we've got to deal with reality. When somebody dies, they die. This body gives out, and and it is appropriate, of course, to say that we believers are in the presence of the Lord. We know that's true. Second Corinthians chapter five makes that clear, uh, along with Philippians and, and, and also First John. But, but the idea here is that we need to say die. We, we need to say somebody die. The reason we need to say it is because it gives us a wonderful opportunity to talk to people who are afraid of dying. So, you know, let's don't beat around the bush. 
Somebody's passed on. Somebody went to the reward. I've heard them all. Uh, just they died. I think that's the cycle of life. It's appointed uh, uh, one, one, there's one judgment. And, and after death, then we're going to face the judgment. And we hope for most people, that certain people we know, that's going to be uh, in a place for Christians. Here is a question from Jeremy from our email inbox. Jeremy, this is one of the stranger questions. And then I actually, I think the Holy Spirit can help me figure out what you were talking about. Jeremy says, are there such things as planets? The Bible does not talk about that. I personally don't believe in planets. If there are planets, can you show me where in the Bible it talks about that? Now, Jeremy, I don't know anybody that denies that planets exist. The scientific proof is overwhelming. We've actually had human beings, Americans, trustworthy Americans, who landed on the moon, a planet, and we have video evidence of that. And I realize there are people who believe that's a conspiracy and and, uh, none of it's true, it was faked. Um, Jeremy, to believe that, it would have to be a, a conspiracy that would, would reach beyond our wildest imagination. Everybody would have to be involved in it. Um, uh, these things just aren't true. So, yes, there are such things as planets. Now, can you show me where in the Bible it talks about planets? It doesn't. The Bible is not about science. The Bible is not about astronomy, nor is it about astrology. The Bible's about Jesus, so the Bible doesn't talk about everything. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about a lot of things that we deal with uh, in, in our culture. The Bible doesn't talk about uh, football. The Bible doesn't talk about car dealerships. The Bible doesn't talk about shopping centers. Um, because that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about Jesus. So please, please, please understand that just because something isn't mentioned in the Bible, um, that that doesn't make it less true. Now, here's what I realized that you were dealing with, Jeremy, or that you were hinting at. Um, um, There are people, a lot of them, unfortunately, in this day and age of information, who are flat earthers. And Jeremy, for a Christian to be a flat earther, and a flat earther, somebody simply believes that the earth is flat, that we're, we're, it's not spherical, it's not round. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 would seem to indicate otherwise, Jeremy. But um, this, is, this, is, this is a flat earther and somebody who says, um, you know, since the earth is flat, there, there's nothing that's hung in the sky. The psalmist says the planets are hung in the sky, the stars are hung in the sky, hung on nothing, in fact. So so here's what I want, want you to do, Jeremy. I want you to open your Bible. Stay off the Internet. Just, just take a two-day break from this misinformation, this crazy conspiracy stuff that is all over the Internet. And instead of trying to chase down these silly, almost embarrassing rabbit trails, read your Bible. Sit down just for a couple of days. Do a complete fast on anything but your Bible and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Lord, you speak to my heart. And he'll meet you, Jeremy. He'll meet you. The whole conspiracy theory realm is the realm of the demonic. And I have people that I love very much who are caught up in it. Um, they're unable to believe that which is clearly true. Jeremy, for someone to believe that there aren't planets or that the earth is flat when demonstrably the earth is spherical and and rotates and there there's a, an observable uh, route that, that flies. They talk about that in, in Job. God is the one who's in charge of all those things. Jesus is the one who keeps those planets and stars from crashing into one another and destroying all of us. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. So do me a favor, Jeremy, please. Take a fast from the Internet. Just open your Bible. Let Jesus meet with you. And honestly, Jeremy, if you are a flat earther, for a Christian, and I'm going to assume you're a Christian, 
because you're writing into the show. If you're a flat earther, it's embarrassing. So read your Bible. Let the Holy Spirit really, really pour truth into your heart. It'll change your life, Jeremy, I promise you. Thanks for the question. 340-9585 for our live calls and questions. Um, here's a question from Rick from our mobile app. Um, he says, how do preterists believe that all prophecy has been fulfilled? Rick, there's no explanation for this. Um, um, I believe it starts with sort of a rebellious spirit. My church teaches this, or this pastor teaches this, and I don't agree with him. So, And they're looking for other alternatives. But for a preterist to believe that all prophecy has been fulfilled makes absolutely no sense based on the evidence. In 70 AD, when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, that fulfilled all prophecy. But But we've got all kinds of prophecies about heaven about the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, about the return of Jesus to the earth. Revelation chapter 19 is not symbolic, it's literal. And yet there are those, Rick, who insist that all prophecy has been fulfilled. I think there's something about we humans. We just like to be different. We like sort of the shock value of, of having strange beliefs. Just, Rick, don't get caught up in it. Um, I've tried to change people's minds and it doesn't work. So what you do is you just pray for them. As long as conversation can be fruitful, courteous, informative, um, you can talk to them, but when they stop listening, stop talking. There's no explanation for how they can believe that all prophecy has been fulfilled. Here is a question from, it's anonymous, from our email inbox. You mentioned that when you were saved, you were not sure what church was right for you and Mama Paula to attend and had attended some churches that you knew were not right. How did you get familiar with Calvary Chapel? Um, anonymous, uh, there's nobody holding. We'd love your calls, by the way. Um, I'll take a couple of minutes with this. Um, it's interesting. You know, It's I look back at, at my exposure to Calvary Chapel, and, and I can see the Lord sort of moving me. Um, you know, God's the one who directs our steps. I thought I was doing what was right by just going to all kinds of churches. I just wanted to be in church. But I had this sense of discernment that they weren't right. And one day I was in a gym um, um, working out and... Uh, there was a guy there who saw me reading my Bible, and he came up and introduced himself. His name was Steve. And he said, uh, oh, so you're a believer? I said, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Man, I got saved. And it wasn't too long ago that I'd been saved. And so, yeah, I I, um, I love the Lord. And so he asked me the question. He said, so where do you go to church? And I said to him, uh, back then, I, I just figured, again, remember, I was an immature Christian. Still had a lot of flesh to deal with. But I thought I would impress him if I went to a really, really big church. So one of the churches I'd gone to had been the Crenshaw Christian Center in Los Angeles. Fred Price, uh, Frederick Casey Price, was the pastor. So I said, we go to Fred Price's church. And he had this look on his face. It was almost like he had a stomachache. And he had this look on his face. And and I said, well, why, why do you have that look on your face? And he said, well, I, I don't really want to say anything bad about about another church. So he said, why don't you come where I go to church? It happened to be a night when they had a midweek study. And I was always up for that. And um, so I said, I'll go. Turns out he was a youth pastor at that church. And I went that night. And um, it was just so different. The teaching of the word, verse by verse. David Rosales was the pastor of the church. He was in Ontario then, in Ontario, California. And um, uh, from that moment, I was hooked. Now, I didn't like him. Uh, I thought he was unloving. I thought he was uh, harsh. 
Um, he spoke bad about false teachers that I didn't know were false. Um, I, I couldn't believe that another Christian would speak badly of another Christian, especially a public person, a pastor. But I couldn't stay away. It was like a car wreck that I had to watch, you know. And uh, I couldn't stay away. And and slowly, over a period of about a month, um, I was going midweek and Sundays, and uh, I realized that, that he was speaking with an authority that none of the others had. He was just going through the Bible verse by verse. That made so much sense to me. And the Lord let me know that that's where I was home. And when I knew I was going to be a pastor and started to look for a Bible college, um, I knew about a Bible college in Oklahoma. Um, so I started, I, I applied there. And yet they, they sent me a bunch of applications with questions on them. And every time I'd sit down to, to fill out those applications, I would I'd get almost sick to my stomach. I just couldn't do it. And now I know that was the Lord intervening. Um, and one day in prayer, okay, well, where am I supposed to go? And the Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, well, Calvary Chapel is a Bible college. And that's what I checked out. So, Anonymous, I'm really, really proud to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. I love the fact that I don't have to think about what I'm going to teach this Sunday or the following Sunday. I'm just going to go right through the Bible. I don't have to come up with sermon topics or or, or inspirational sermons. Uh, I'm not that creative. I'm not that smart. Um, so all I have to do is open the Bible and pick up where I left off the week before and just teach it. And it has worked out really, really well for me personally. It's worked out well for our church. Uh, and I know that Calvary Chapel is home. Now, that doesn't mean Calvary Chapel is the only church that does things right. It certainly doesn't mean that this, my particular Calvary Chapel, is the only church that does things right. It just means based on the model that we were given in the book of Acts, chapter 2, um, this is the way church is supposed to be done. And there's lots of wonderful pastors. I enjoy m many of them. Um, but uh, this is the model that the Lord gave me for doing church. And he has really and truly blessed um, our faithfulness to adhere to that model over the years. So that's how I, I got connected with Calvary Chapel. It's just the sort of divine um, providence. God, God was moving me where I needed to be. And uh, I know this is where I'm supposed to be, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Final thought on this, Anonymous, and I think this probably deals more with the rest of you in the audience. Um, there's nothing quite like knowing for sure that you're in the perfect will of God. And that doesn't mean I'm doing it perfect, but I know beyond any doubt that I'm here where I'm supposed to be, where I was born to be, doing what I was born to be doing. And I know that since Paula has to uh, submit to my leadership, that, that I know being in the will of God means I'm also rightly representing Lord to her and protecting her in her walk with the Lord as well. Thank you for the question. I don't get personal questions that often, but I appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is Kelly from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I had emailed a few weeks ago regarding if those that go to hell are judged differently. I remembered that, and I said, yes, they are. Uh, I was thinking about all those involved in the death of Jesus. I know his death had to happen, but will those that took part in it be judged more harshly for killing our Savior. I can't imagine anything worse, even with all that has happened throughout history. Thank you. Glad you're back, Kelly. Kelly, thank you. I'm glad to be back as well. Um, Kelly, um, yes, you know, when Jesus said, uh, speaking of Judas indirectly, uh, I mean Judas directly, rather, he said it'd be better for for that man, Judas, never to have been born. Um, Second Peter uh, Jeremiah 23 and 24 uh, talk about the the judgments for false teachers that are going to be exponentially worse than, than judgments. So just as there are different levels of heaven, and by levels I mean different abilities to, to enjoy heaven, different responsibilities given based on our faithfulness here. 
uh, the parable of the talents uh, is an example that Jesus used. Uh, there are going to be different degrees. Uh, some will, will suffer many blows. Others will be beaten with few blows. Uh, Jesus is, is indicating that his judgment is going to be just. Now, hell is going to be horrible for everybody. But uh, those who are involved in the death of Jesus, um, those who persecute the church of God throughout history, um, they're going to be beaten with many blows. And, and their judgment is going to be far, far worse. Certainly, Satan, who will be in the lake of fire forever, the Antichrist, the false prophet, um, who much is given, much is required, and they failed miserably, they are going to be in torment forever and ever in the worst of all possible experiences. But there is going to be different levels of judgment. Different levels of judgment uh, in hell. So um, uh, you're right. Pilate, God three times from Pilate's own lips, he said he said that Jesus was innocent. Try to wash his hands of the whole deal. And God says, no, 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 you're not getting off the hook that easily. So yeah, the truth is there's going to be a much harsh, uh, much harsher judgment for those who looked in his eyes and refused to believe. Jewish religious leaders of his day who paid people to lie about him? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be them, Kelly. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous one. Uh, Pastor Ron, I have professing Christian family members and friends who are going to some of these charismatic and even certain denominational churches that are teaching sermons out of context, telling people to give their tithes, love, and in parentheses, the Holy Spirit is absent, and are permitting female pastors, basically knowing that it's not a biblical and sound doctrinal church. I believe this is Christianity 101. I even had one family member say that these megachurches, and he mentions two here in San Antonio, and megachurches throughout the nations are blessed because God brought them a bigger church. After all, they were blessed with little, and now they're blessed with more. They make millions and millions of dollars every year because they're truly blessed. I feel like my family members and friends are absolutely wrong. What he responded with, well, Jesus had a big following, and Peter saved thousands daily. We've been going to Calvary for years, and he doesn't say, uh, it's anonymous, I don't know if this is our church or another Calvary. Uh, we've been going to Calvary for years. How can I tell them in a loving way to leave their church and come to Calvary, where it seems like everything is biblically backed up? Many times I'd say, come to our church, it's done right here. They say, but I love my church, uh, but I feel like they're not being taught right. I honestly feel like I judge them and have an angry, righteous heart toward them, and I judge um, uh, it, am I seeing all this wrong? Maybe these churches are doing it right and I need to repent. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not inside your heart, so I don't know whether you need to repent, but, but it sounds like your heart is just to really want them to be in a healthy, well-balanced church where they can learn who Jesus really is. Let me say this. Uh, in America, it's, it's not just in America anymore, but, but this is where it really started. The idea of a successful church was a big church. That's not true. The biggest churches are the ones that Satan's in control of because they're telling people what they want to hear. It is easy. Now, I've got a fairly large church. It's easy for uh, for me to, 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 to grow a church. Uh, all I have to do is tell people what they want. But the Bible, teaching the Bible is offensive to people. It cuts deep in their hearts, and they don't want it. So uh, the fact that a church is big means they've got good marketing. The fact that it's big means they're telling people what they want to hear. Um, and, 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 you know, that's not a sign of God's blessing. When you say love is absent from churches, uh, in a church of thousands and thousands of people, um, there's so many people that just sort of on the on the edges of the church and they don't even get noticed. They come, they go, but they don't really participate. So uh, I think you're right in your assessment 
Um, but here's the one thing you want to remember. If your family members are are those that they love their church and they say it's a big church and God is blessing it, they're responsible to God. Remind them they're responsible to God for leading their families. They're responsible to God for for sound doctrine. And if they are not willing to listen to you, then just stop sharing. Pray for them. You live your life full of love and full of joy and, 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 and representing the Lord correctly with the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but remember, we can't change anybody's mind. Uh, there's a lot of people who think, because we're in a small building, we have a lot of people, but we're in a small building, that, that I've actually been told, you know, if you were doing things differently, then, then God would bless you with the building. No, uh, God is blessing us by allowing us to do what we know is in his perfect will to do. And we don't have to ask about money or talk about money. Uh, we're not making millions, multiplied millions of dollars. Uh, every day we're just trusting the Lord to provide. So pray for them. Uh, don't argue with them. Um, don't listen to the enemy. We have got 30 minutes left in the program. We've got Mari on line one. We'll get to her right after the break. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Marty, thank you for holding. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a question. My... Um, daughter and my husband both are questioning the accuracy of the Bible now that it's been translated so many times over the years. My husband um, read somewhere or saw something that said that somewhere along the lines of it being translated centuries ago, parts of the Bible were removed commandments were changed or removed, even even in the Ten Commandments. And, you know, I kept telling them to ask our pastor, but they they just aren't. Um, so they're thinking, you know, maybe the Bible isn't all that accurate, and I know that that can't be right. So I decided to call you to ask, um, what are the odds hmm. that the Bible has changed uh, context, I guess, or, or actual... Um, that has changed in translation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mari. This is, this is one of the most important questions that any believer um, can, can find the answer to. But what I find typically is that th- these aren't really honest questions. Um, you know, from the very beginning, the devil has been saying, did God really say? He, that's what he said to Adam and Eve when, when the devil himself tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Basically, he was saying, can you really trust God? Did God really say? And remember, he's come to deceive. He's come to cause doubt. And um, that's the most effective thing. Cults, Mormons will often say, well, yeah, we believe in the Bible insofar as it's been correctly translated. And whenever anybody says something like that, Mari, it's not a question that comes from within. That's always a question that comes from without. Now, when you said he was talking to somebody who read something about, well, that's what happens. Somebody gets on the Internet or somebody talks to a Mormon um, or somebody who just doesn't like parts of what the Bible says. Um, the first thought the enemy will bring, well, well, maybe God didn't really say, and here's an explanation. The Bible's been translated so many times, how do we know that we can depend on it? I'm going to take two approaches in answering your question. That's how important it is. The first is this. Uh, No books have been taken out of the Bible. Uh, Usually when we hear that argument, Mari, what we've got is somebody who's saying, well, the Catholic Bible has more books, the Apocrypha, um, um, but but those books were never part of the Jewish canon. They're included in our Old Testament in Catholic Bibles. 
Um, but, but they're not inspired by God. They were never a part of Scripture. They were never recognized by Jews uh, as being divinely inspired. That's really important. So books weren't taken out. It's just that there was a period in church history where books were added, and that started when the Catholic Church that started when the Catholic Church um, uh, was the universally recognized religion in the world. It started in Rome in the fourth century, and um, uh, over the course of time, those books, um, because frankly, they allowed. Uh, what has now become Catholic tradition, they landed some credibility. The problem is those books are inconsistent with the other books in the Bible. We've got 66 books in the Bible. And, and of those 66 books, they are completely internally consistent. If you add the, the, the apocryphal books, then they're inconsistent. They contradict other parts of what we know is Scripture. So we haven't lost any books. Um, what we've consistently seen is that God has preserved his inspired word throughout history and preserved it for us in spite of the fact that people in this world have tried to rid the earth of the Bible from the very beginning. It is the the biggest selling book in the history of the world. There is nothing that even comes close and it's just God sort of saying, look, this is my word and you can do what you want with it, but I'm going to preserve it because we're all going to be accountable. Jesus said, um, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word never will. So that's the one thing that we've got to settle. And and the idea, it's a specious idea, the idea that, that well, books are added or it's been incorrectly translated uh, is, is um, um, very familiar worn out argument. Now, here's the most important thing, Mari. Um, your husband, and I think you said your daughter, your son, I don't remember, your daughter. Um, what, what I would, my approach, if I were you, would be to say, well, well, exactly what parts of the Bible don't you believe is true? And usually it's going to be something that deals with some sin in their life. It's usually a sign that they don't want to do what the Bible says to do, so it's easier to rationalize the fact that it's just something that is, um, I'm I'm just going to discount it. I'm going to refuse to acknowledge that it's really the Word of God. And then, Mari, if I were you, I would challenge them. Now, I'm I'm doing this from personal experience. Um, The devil always, with every believer, starts with, did God really say? That happened to me. As, as a brand new believer, uh, really getting interesting, interested in the things of God, really, really digging into the Bible, there was always this doubt, how do I know I can trust the Bible? I didn't know how the Bible could be written by God and written by men. It made no sense to me. So what I did was say, uh, God, I need to know if the Bible is true. And I made it the goal of my life, Marty. I made it the goal of my life to find out if this was true. If it, I, I loved Jesus. I knew I was saved. But I needed to know if I could count on the Bible. And I made it the goal of my life. It took me a little bit less than three months. Sometimes people dig in a lot longer than that. Sometimes it takes people less time. But what if I were you, I would advise my family to do is to say, you say you're Christians. You say you're going to heaven. So let's find out together as a family if this really is the Word of God. And then study it. Study the Word. Find out how we got our canon of Scripture. There's so many wonderful resources. Uh, the New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. There's some, some it's very, uh, a very scholarly book. Uh, there's, there's easier things. The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel is excellent. Um, uh, Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, um, the, the know what we believe, know why we believe, two little paperback books. And they'll get you started on this process. But ultimately, it comes down to a, a man or a woman sitting down with the Bible, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and saying, okay, God, I need to know if this if this is your word or if it's just a book written by men. If it's translated correctly and challenge him to do that, remind him, your husband especially, that he's the head of the household. 
And it's his responsibility. He's going to stand before God and give account. So don't let him take the easy way out or the lazy way out. And say, well, I just heard somebody said they read this and find out. Because once you find out that the Bible really is the word of God, and the Holy Spirit will make it absolutely clear. When you find out, it'll change everybody's life. And you'll never look back and the enemy will have one less opportunity. One final thought. All the translations that we have, most of them are pretty good translations. So it doesn't matter which Bible you read, which translation, just be sure that you've got a dependable translation and read it and let the Holy Spirit do the work of confirming in your heart that which is true. Very, very important, Marion. And, uh, of course, I know you're already praying for them, but keep praying for them. Literally, the difference is heaven or hell. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot grow in your faith if you don't accept that the Bible is God's full and authoritative, perfect word. So pray for them. And you hold fast. You let the fruit of the Spirit come flowing from you because you hold on to what God says. Life is pretty simple. Not easy always, but it's pretty simple when you've decided once and for all, that this is God's word. I'm just going to do what it says. Thank you, Mari. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Victor on line two. Victor, thanks for holding her on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, on First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, uh, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And uh, I was talking with some of my family members about uh, the word hope, and 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 uh, they were saying, "Well, does that that means uh, that 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 you're hoping, you know?" But it's, I told them it's not the same uh, word meaning uh, as it did uh, here in this scripture. Uh, it actually means that it's it's actually uh, your you are uh, actually expecting uh, with with uh, that it's, it's a certainty. You have no doubt. So I was wondering if you could help me with that about how to explain the, the use of the word hope uh, in the Bible as opposed to modern day, you know, hope or maybe I hope so. And I'll yeah. hang up and listen to your answer. On Thank, Thank, you. Thank you, Victor. It's a great, great question. You know, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but but the anchors are faith and hope and love. And so it's important to understand this hope. Now, typically, when you see uh, the word hope used as it is in this context, um, uh, I know our current culture would define that as, well, I hope things work out. But the hope in Christ is a certainty, is an absolute certainty. This isn't something we have to, to, to cross our fingers and hope about. It's not something we have to pray. We have hope. Now, in context, this is really important. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, what was going on was there were people uh, in Thessalonica. Um, I mean, they expected Jesus to be back at any moment. Paul had spent three to four weeks with them. Uh, there was a, a powerful move of God's Spirit. We'd, we'd call it a little mini-revival. And um, um, they really expected, based on Paul's teaching, that Jesus was coming back soon. Well, what happened is that as Jesus didn't come back and people would get old and or they would die, um, the, the people would be worried. Well, well, what happens if they're not alive and Jesus comes back? Does that mean that they missed heaven? And Paul is addressing that false teaching. Evidently, there were some in Thessalonica trying to stir up trouble. No, well, if they if they if they died and Jesus still is near, I guess they just they've lost um, any chance of heaven. And Paul is saying no. And this is a rebuke. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who've died or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And the idea is that if you're grieving um, um, like all is lost, then you're one of those people who have no hope. Now, Christians grieve when we have horrible things happen. But we grieve differently than unbelievers. We grieve because... 
our, li- our, our lives are poor. We, we've lost somebody that's really important to us. I obviously, as a pastor, I deal with death all the time, and, and grief is real. But but stronger than our grief is the certainty that we're going to see those people in heaven again. Some of the greatest worship services I've ever been at have been funerals for believers. Um, but the rest of the world, when they die, they grieve because there is no hope, no certainty of a future in heaven with God. So what he's saying to these believers is that, look... Um, don't listen to these lies. Don't listen to this false teaching. The people that have died in Christ are going to be with Christ. And our hope, our certainty is that we're going to be with them again. The very next verse, he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's a certainty, a fact. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And, And his answer to this is that when we're called to to be with the Lord in the rapture of the church, the people who have died already and gone into the presence of the Lord, they will come back with him and we will join them. And then there's even a greater statement of assurance in verse 15 of that chapter. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. They're already with him, so they're first. But when they come and we're called to be with them when the church is raptured, then we will be together with them. So, Victor, that's all. It's not a cross-your-fingers kind of hope, like I'm hoping to win the lottery. Um, This is a certainty as though we've already won the lottery, spiritually speaking, of course. Thank you, Victor. appreciate the question. Let's go to Ray holding on line three. Ray, thanks for your patience. You're on the air. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't have any patience, but I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got, you've got the fruit of the Spirit, and patience is one of those. Uh, I, I was pondering, uh, and this may not make a whole lot of sense, because the longer I was waiting, I, my formulation of how to present this uh, kind of kept getting more and more away from me, but... Uh, we're, we're temporal beings, you know. We we live in the the time zone, you know. And uh, there's mention of the seven years, uh, the thousand year reign, uh, you know. So where does eternity fit in that? Um, is is that no longer temporal, you know? When when we when we're with God forever, uh, you know, uh, that was one part of it. And the other part was, uh, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, there would be, during that thousand-year reign when everything was perfect, uh, it, it, uh, sort of that uh, there would be many, many people born and alive, billions, like Carl Sagan says about the stars, mm-hmm. but uh, um, is that tied in with the the path to heaven is uh, small and the gate is narrow, uh, that few will find it, but many will go down the wrong way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if that makes much sense, but if yeah, it does, it, it does do right. the best you can. Thank you. It does make sense. I, I appreciate the question. Uh, first, let me deal with the second question. You know, um, the, 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 the multiply, you know, the, the conservatively speaking, the population of the earth now is like six million people. And um, uh, imagine what the population of the earth will be like when the earth is restored and renewed and Jesus is ruling and reigning. So there will be multiplied billions of people, an innumerable number of people that will be born during the thousand years. Now, our earth is biblically seven to ten thousand years old. So now, now think about a, a thousand years in a restored, renewed earth and how fruitful and, and how population will just explode. In that sense, Ray, um, um, we know that the devil's going to be let loose at the end of the thousand years, and he's going to deceive the multitudes, uh, the, the people that are, are will rebel, believing his lies, 
are going to outnumber the grains of sand on the sea. Now, that's figurative, not literal, but but the, the idea is that there's going to still be that narrow and broad road. And and I think the, the percentages are going to hold true. Few are going to find the narrow road because we don't like restrictions. Uh, and, and many are going to find the broad road to destruction because we want to do what we want to do. And I think in the process, God is going to show that um, the, the problem's always been man. It's not been environment. It's not been our parents. It's not been our government. It's not been bad breaks or bad luck. The problem's always been our human nature, our sinful human nature. So um, that's the, the answer to the second part of your question. The first is really interesting to me because uh, I, I like to think about this kind of stuff and, and uh, I, I, I don't advise people letting their brains go where mine goes on this one. But but the idea is when we get into to heaven, we're going to be outside of time and space, no longer constrained um, by a time dimension. Um, we know that we're going to be in heaven for seven years, and we only know that because we're here on earth constrained by time now. But when we step outside of time and go into eternity, seven years is going to go by like an instant. And then we're going to come back for a thousand years, and that's literal. We'll come back into time because we'll be back in this dimension of earth, again constrained by time and space, for a literal 1,000 years. Um, now, here's what may be a little weird. When the new heaven and the new earth, is, new earth is created, after the great white throne judgment and the earth is is rid of all of the evil and all of the sin, those who uh, have chosen to rebel against God, they've, they've all been dealt with in sins of judgment. I believe in the new heaven and new earth, we're going to be back under time constraints, even though we're in eternity. But the time constraint is different because I think in heaven... There's only one time, and that time is now. Jesus is the great I am. His Father said, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. Not I, I was or I will be, I am. And I think when we get to heaven, it's all going to be in the now. I don't think we're going to be conscious of of a 24-hour clock. I don't think it's going to be a day and a night. Uh, I think in the new heaven and the new earth, everything is going to be in the now. And I think that is the most glorious place for any of us to be in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just serve today. Just serve today. So um, that last part of me sounds a little weird to people. It's nothing heretical. It's just I think we're going to be back in the constraints of time and space only because we're we're going to be locked into the present, into the now, always. Second Peter talks about the Lord, uh, to the Lord a thousand years is as a day. And, and the day is as a thousand years. Um, so who knows how long the Lord is going to be patient. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate the question. I think I got time for one more here. This one is from our email inbox from Robert. He says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm fairly new to Texas and live about two hours from San Antonio. I've heard of Calvary before. And this is how I came to find your church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, obviously, he doesn't go here if he lives two hours away. I've been watching a few of your teachings online, and I really enjoyed them. It seems like a small church from the outside, and so I was wondering why there are so many pastors. Is there a plan to build more Calvary churches throughout Texas? Jesus had 11 true disciples. He built them up and sent them off. Is it important for pastors to keep their pastors in a church for a very long time? I suppose I'm hopeful that more churches like Calvary are going to be built. Um, uh, Robert, I'm hopeful that there are going to be more Calvaries as well. Now, a couple of things. One, our church looks small from the outside. Actually, it doesn't look small. It is small. Um, we got a lot of service, a lot of people. I, I think we probably have twelve to 1,400 adults who attend church here each week. So we got a lot of people. Um, we send a lot of people out, too, because we just don't have room for anybody else. Um, but but I, I, all that to say, I don't have too many pastors. I've got seven pastors plus me on our staff. Uh, God has blessed me with those men and their wives. And uh, these are men, the, the ones I have now, with the exception of maybe one, uh, these are men who are going to remain committed here. Now, Robert, we have planted, out of our church, we've planted more than 35, I don't know how, the exact number, but more than 35 churches in our 26 years. 
So we have always raised up a lot of pastors to send out to plant churches. When we got here, there were four Calvary chapels in Texas, and now there are 69 or 70, and uh, we're always looking to plant more. Uh, I've got people in Victoria, Texas that have been after me for a long time to plant a church. They get this radio uh, program. They get a strong signal down there. And uh, uh, I'm hopefully preparing somebody even now to to go down there. And, yeah, we want to reach all the parts of Texas with with Bible teaching Calvary Chapel churches. So um, that's what we're going to do, what we've been doing. The pastors I have on staff now, however, are pastors who... um, we believe, they believe, and I, I affirm that belief. Um, they have been called by God to remain here. So we have this constant core, this consistent core of of men who are uh, married to the vision that we have here and, and committed to doing the work. As I get older, Robert, this is more important um, because there will be a change uh, in in pastors at this church sometime in the future. I hope not in the near future. But uh, as long as I'm healthy, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot my two youth pastors. I have nine pastors now. Um, but, but, but again, they, they all have work, and there's plenty. I mean, plenty to do. So, um, yeah, we, we're, we're, we hope we're going to build, uh, plant more Calvary Chapel churches throughout Texas. We have six of them in the, in the San Antonio area. Uh, if you go outside as far as Stockdale to the to the, the south and the east and the hill country in the hill country um, we got churches all around so uh, yeah we want to plant more hey thanks for the call thanks for the letters hey we've run out of time today Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock on am 630 the word we'll see you then Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.